0: When I was a teenager, one of my hobbies was reading about atomic physics, and I didn't have to read that stuff for school. I just liked it, and I didn't even really know why. But looking back, I think I liked physics for the same reason that most people do. It organizes the world around us into little bits, little packets, these atomic parts that have Names like protons, neutrons, and electrons. They all have charges and spins, interactions, numbers, mass, decay, half-lives, stuff like that. And I liked that, the organization of it all. And this one physicist, he was the one whose books I read most often, most voraciously. It's interesting that some people find science so easy and
1: others find it kind of dull and difficult, it, especially kids, you know some of them are just
0: eat it up. And I don't know why it is. It's the same.: That's Richard Feynman, and he was famous for his lectures and books on physics. He was probably more famous for that than he was for having worked on the Manhattan Project, or for having analyzed what went wrong when the Challenger space shuttle crashed. And I'm going to play you a little more of one of those lectures. This is one that was recorded at his house, so it's not really technically a lecture. He's actually just sitting in an armchair and talking to the camera about physics, but he's repeating a lot of the same stuff that you'll find in his books and public lectures.
1: The atoms like each other the different degrees. Uh, Oxygen, for instance, in the air would like to be next to carbon, and if they get in near each other, they snap together. If they're not too close, though, they repel and they go apart. So they don't know that they could snap together. It's just as if you had a ball that was trying to climb a hill and there was a hole it could go into, like a volcano hole, a deep one. It's rolling along, it doesn't go down in the deep hole because if it starts to climb the hill and then rolls away again. But if you made it go fast enough, it'll fall into the hole. And so if you have something like wood in oxygen, there's carbon in the wood from a tree, And the oxygen comes and hits it, carbon, but not hot enough. It just goes away again. The air is always coming. Nothing's happening. If you can get it faster by heating it up somehow, somewhere, somehow, get it started, a few of them come fast. They go over the top, so to speak. They come close enough to the carbon and snap in. And that gives a lot of jiggly motion, which might hit some other atoms, making those go faster so they can climb up and bump against other carbon atoms, and they jiggle, and they make mothers jiggle, and you get a terrible catastrophe, which is one after the other. All these things are going faster and faster and snapping in, and the whole thing is changing. That catastrophe is a
0: fire. The, it's just I still think about them, these those happening. lectures and videos that I watched small? when I was a teenager because they helped me understand the world. They helped me understand the way it works. And I feel like once you get the laws of physics in your head, it's kind of hard to get them back out. I know that it sounds probably pretentious, but I really do think that knowing about atomic physics helps understand just everyday phenomenon. It helps to know that the universe has limits, and it helps to believe that if you dig deep enough into the why of something, you might actually find an elegant, decent explanation. But why am I telling you about atomic physics and Richard Feynman? Well, because the person at the center of the story in today's episode is arguably the most famous physicist to come out of Russia in the last 40 years. But he's not famous for his work as a physicist. He's famous for this. Gazprom, the
2: biggest gas company in the world, looks like bankrupt. Because of
0: mismanagement,
2: because of huge corruption,
0: He's famous as a Russian politician. That's the guy. That's his actual voice. It's from 2009, when he spoke publicly in Washington, D.C., spoke about his opposition to Vladimir Putin and about corruption, about Gazprom, the company that put up half the money for the Nord Stream project.
2: But everybody's interested about pipeline because this is money and that cutter, right? Do
0: this physicist-slash-politician's name was Boris Nemtsov. And I'm going to tell you his story today, including how he was murdered in 2015 right in front of the Kremlin. I'm James Reed and this is a special series from the Don't Show My Face podcast. This is big mistake. Sehr Damen und Gerade eben Sprach ich the der Einheit der europäischen culture.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Excellencies, we've come to the high point of our ceremony. We're going to turn the wheel of
3: history. The 8.8 8 billion euro Nord Stream project was agreed in 2005 by then Russian President Vladimir Putin and then German Chancellor Gerhard Schröder. Die Welt
0: ist meine Damen und Herren. Viel,
2: viel Und 2 muss man so umgehen, dass Gas durch diese
4: kann.
3: We get the impression that our Ukrainian partners have boarded a train called Cheap Russian Gas and don't know what stop to get off at.
4: He warned Ukrainians not to resist and to lay down their arms as columns of Russian armored vehicles rolled across Ukraine's borders. I made a big mistake.
0: If you've never heard the name Boris Nemtsov, well, I can just say, neither had I, until I started looking into Nord Stream. In fact, someone in an interview that I did, was the person who first brought up the name to me.
1: This was very risky, and that is why all the others that uh, had criticized this project as well, and the policy as well, had left Russia, and they all had to leave. and. If you don't leave like Boris Nemtsov, uh, you you are killed.
0: I don't know that name. Could you tell me about him? I don't I don't know that story there.
1: Uh, Boris Nemtsov.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, uh, Boris Boris Nemtsov was a politician who was a former minister and uh, at Yeltsin's time and uh, at the beginning as well a good good understand kind of understanding with Putin, and he was killed in 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 the front of the Kremlin.
0: That's Jörg Himmelreich, who you heard from back in part four. And that got me immediately curious about Nemtsov. But it took me a while to even be able to remember his name and say it, or much less spell it. For Westerners, it's a much more challenging name than one like Putin, which by the way, I usually pronounce Putin, even though in the West, uh, there's a very American way of saying it like Putin. But going back to Nemtsov, an easy way you can think of him as a starter, is to think of him as the guy who came before Alexei Navalny. At least for me, after a few weeks of reading and researching everything I could get my hands on, that seems to be a fair comparison. The stuff Navalny is famous for saying about Putin, Nemtsov said basically the exact same stuff way back when, going back to the 2000s. So he was the OG Alexei Navalny, a brazen, rebellious, intelligent, and charismatic person who was in opposition to Putin and seemed for a long time like the only person who really stood any chance of replacing Putin politically for a sense of Nemtsov's life and career. Let's just take a short trip through using audio. So that's Boris at a political rally in 1990. He was 30 years old at the time. And his mother, apparently, is the one who dragged him into politics. He'd been working for years as a theoretical physicist, apparently a pretty busy and successful one, with 60 publications to his name – He'd gotten his Ph.D. when he was 25. But then Chernobyl happened.
2: There has been a nuclear accident in the Soviet Union, and the Soviets have admitted that it happened. The Soviet version is this. One of the atomic reactors at the Chernobyl atomic power plant near the city of Kiev was
0: damaged. So there was Boris Nemtsov in Russia, an atomic physicist, watching the worst atomic disaster to have ever happened inside the USSR. The Soviet Union. It didn't even tell the West at first what had happened. It wasn't until Swedish workers at a power plant there were coming into work one day. The first word that something was seriously wrong came from this power plant in eastern Sweden, where workers coming on the job registered abnormally high levels of radiation on their bodies. It was only after that the that the world found not out. Although enough to harm humans, and no accident had occurred at that plant, it was shut down. And as tests were conducted, similar puzzling reports of high radiation came in. So then fast forward a few years to 1990. Inside of Russia at the time, everyday citizens were getting more and more politically active. Boris's mother was one of the people who was going out to rallies. She began to collect signatures for a petition that was against the building of an atomic plant close to where they lived and she started dragging her son, her atomic physicist son with her to the square. Soon he was running for political office, running against old Soviet communists as a 30-year-old curly-haired physicist who wore a windbreaker jacket in his public appearances instead of a suit. <laughs> Despite being an outsider who didn't really know how to dress for the job and didn't have any experience, he won. And he gave in to wearing a suit and tie finally. And Boris Nemtsov became a rising political star. His intellect and responsible attitude, it even caught the attention of another politician named Boris, Boris
2: Yeltsin. <laughs>
0: And after Nemtsov's first stint in public office, Yeltsin appointed him governor of the city where he had been politically active. It was definitely a big break for him. However, the 90s, they weren't an easy time if you were a public servant in Russia that actually wanted to fix problems and help everyday citizens. You might remember that we described the 90s in Russia with this clip about when McDonald's opened up in Moscow. Well, it's been 14 years in the making, and today, finally, McDonald's threw open the doors to its first restaurant in Moscow. We're all hungry in this city, she says. We need more of these places. There's nothing in our stores or restaurants. If you're McDonald's... There weren't just shortages of food. There were shortages of everything. Tobacco, soap, toothpaste, pantyhose. It wasn't easy to get any basic good. But Nemtsov started changing the things that he could as governor. One of the things that he wanted to fix were the roads in his city. Russia is famous for having terrible roads, mostly because they're famous for running corruption schemes every time they build a road or fix a road. None of the public money spent ever seems to end up down in the pavement itself. It usually just ends up in the pockets of the politicians involved in the projects and the contractors as well. There's a story about Nemtsov inspecting the roads in his city by driving around with a shot glass full of vodka, rested on his car. He wanted the roads under his governorship so smooth that if he drove around with that vodka glass on his car, the liquid would stay steady. It would be full of vodka and not tip over for at least two kilometers straight. That was the Boris Nemtsov method for inspecting new roads that had been created under his governorship. Not only did he fix the roads, voters liked him. He would go out and talk to them, to everyday people, on their level. Nemtsov could be charming. He could shake hands with old babushkas in snowy villages and joke with kids at public events. He was popular. He was what you could call telegenic.
2: In 1997
0: Yeltsin, he offered Nemtsov a new job, a bigger job, one in Moscow, one in the Yeltsin administration. But Nemtsov didn't take it right away. He turned it down. He turned it down because he wanted to stay governor in the city where he lived. He wanted to fix more roads, listen to more old Babushka's problems and find solutions. But Yeltsin insisted. Yeltsin's daughter, Tatiana also insisted. She told Nemtsov that her father had helped him out and that now her father needed his help because Yeltsin was struggling politically. She told Nemtsov that he couldn't refuse. (inaudible)
2: Nemtsov ended up taking the job. And that's audio from him back in
0: 1997, explaining all the ways he wasn't ready for the job. He wasn't ready to go to Moscow, and he didn't really know what he was getting into even after having said yes. He became the minister of fuel and energy, and he started trying to reform Gazprom, the natural gas giant that would later build Nord Stream. During that time, Nemtsov picked a lot of fights with Gazprom execs and the oligarchs who had been using the company as their personal money bag. He picked fights with them, and he often won. He did so well that there was even talk about him becoming president after Yeltsin that Yeltsin would hand the country over to him one day. Yeltsin handed the country over to someone else.
3: Дорогие друзья,
0: сегодня в новогоднюю ночь я, как и вы, с родными и друзьями собирался выслушать слова приветствия президента России Бориса Николаевича Yeltsin. The president that followed Yeltsin was a guy from St Petersburg who had never been elected to public office in his life and who most people had never even seen on TV. Vladimir Putin became the acting president in 1999 when Yeltsin retired. And even though Nemtsov and Putin had both worked together for Yeltsin before the swap, even though they were supposed to be on the same side, the side of liberal Democrats, it didn't take long for Nemtsov to start criticizing the new president of Russia,
2: President Putin.
0: That's Nemtsov back in 2000, in parliament, complaining that the Kremlin under Putin had too much power. Nemtsov couldn't settle down into the new gears of power and corruption that Putin was installing. In Moscow. He couldn't find a place for himself there. The road corruption thieves and old FSB spy buddies of Putin were sprouting up everywhere, turning up in every cabinet and every deputy position that was opening and being filled by people loyal to Putin. Nemtsov even fought his own political party over whether to work with Putin and integrate into the new system or keep rebelling. Nemtsov chose to keep rebelling and he killed his own political career by doing so. In 2003, he did not get reelected to parliament. No liberal Democrats did. He was a man without a job and Russia was a country with a whole new system. Boris Nemtsov was in his 40s when his career in public office ended. He could have gone back home and gone back to physics, his first love. But the thoughtful problem solver who had made so many compromises while working for Yeltsin and others in power, he didn't just settle down. He didn't come to rest. He went out and started yelling in the streets and he started writing. He wrote lengthy, scathing criticisms of Putin and the new Russian system. And one of his biggest issues was about Gazprom and what he called their swindles, their new way of stealing money from public projects, public projects like building pipelines, aka Nord Stream 1.
3: For over 10 years of his rule, Putin has been trying to make us believe that building transnational pipelines is a matter of strategic and geopolitical importance. These projects are swindles plain and simple. Take for example the Nord Stream pipeline. It's quite conceivable that billions of dollars worth of pipeline will be left to rust, empty of gas, and no return earned on the money spent.
0: We're going to look at the Nemtsov white papers, at those writings, after a short break.
4: One
3: Gazprom has been a kind of special and personal project by Putin. From the very beginning of his presidency, he has cared for the company, appointing his people to the key posts and looking into all the details carefully. Gazprom is one of few projects where Putin can be considered personally responsible for the results.
0: Starting in 2008, Boris, the former governor and parliament member, He started publishing papers in which he used all his insider knowledge of how the government worked. He used it against Putin.
3: We have first-hand knowledge of Gazprom problems, having had direct relation to this company. It turns out that the gas resources lying in the depths and allegedly belonging to people, in reality are disposed of by a narrow circle of persons, who are close to the country's leadership.
0: So not only did he write and publish papers about Gazprom and Putin based on his firsthand knowledge, he flew to Washington, D.C. in the years between 2008 and 2011. And he participated in these public talks with D.C. elites and policymakers.
1: We're going to have a
0: conversation with one of the people, I think, who can claim to have played... An extraordinary role in the reshaping of Russia as
1: we know it for the last 20 years or decade, at least my generation of professional involvement with the place.
0: And in these conversations, Boris brought up his background in physics uh, and brought up how it shaped the way he saw the world and why he was fighting from the outside and not integrating into the new system in Russia.
2: I am from physics, you know, as I can tell you about the third Newton law. It's impossible to change uh, an impulse from inside. This is not a political law, this is, this is the third Newton law. Well, that's why I think to be inside means to do nothing. Maybe for yourself you can do, but to change system from inside it's impossible. That's why I'm outside, of course. I'm sure that if Putin will be in the power, it's impossible to change. Resetting is completely impossible with Putin.
0: He also spoke openly about corruption in Russia.
2: Moscow is the most corrupted city in the world.
0: Nemtsov called Moscow the most corrupt city in the world. And Gazprom, one of the most corrupt businesses in Russia.
2: Gazprom. The biggest gas company in the world looks like bankrupt because of mismanagement, because of huge corruption, about 60 billion of assets disappeared from Gazprom during Putin's presidency. 60 billion dollars in assets, right? That's why nobody is interested in new gas fields in Yamal, for example, or in some other regions, but everybody is interested about pipeline. Because this is money and Atkate, right? Do you know Atkate? This is Russian wheel. Kickback, yeah. Kickback. Kate has to be in English world, <laughs> finally. Well, that's why Gazprom is completely corrupted, mismanaged. That's the point.
0: He told Washington, D.C. elites that Gazprom was corrupt and that their corruption was the motivation behind building pipelines like Nord Stream. Whenever they built pipelines like Nord Stream, it gave them the chance to have kickbacks.
2: Because this is money and atkate, right? Do you know atkate? This is Russian word. Kickback,
0: yeah. Kick he uses the Russian word, and then someone in the crowd translates it for the room. Nemtsov said the word should actually become a part of the English language. Yeah,
2: atkate has to be in English <laughs> word, finally.
0: And the Russian word is atkata. Do you know atkate? If you want, you can practice. I'll play the audio clip for you again.
2: Because this is money and Atkata, right? Do you know Atkata? This is Russian. Word. Kickback, yeah. Kickback.
0: Kickback. Otkata. Kickbacks. That's why Gazprom wanted Nord Stream and other pipes like it. Not to make money, not to help Germany with energy security, not to bypass Ukraine not for any of the reasons given by Gazprom or by all the energy analysts going on television in the West, but for one simple, elegant reason, for corruption, for Atkata. It was the same conclusion Alex Fack would come to in 2018, that the pipelines were not good for Gazprom shareholders. They were only good for Gazprom contractors, many of whom were old friends of Vladimir Putin. And I want to point out too, this is the word that was used when I talked to Nord Stream employees. The same word, kickbacks. This is what they said they knew was happening on the Russian side of the project. And then Crimea happened in 2014. To what America is officially calling a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Russian troops spreading out throughout the uh, strategic Crimean Peninsula. President Obama speaking with Russian President Vladimir Putin, apparently pulling no punches, although it is unclear what the White House can really do about all of this. So let's go straight to ABC's Alex Marquardt, who's on the ground in Crimea. Alex, good morning to you. Nemtsov was immediately against Russia's annexation of Crimea, and its invasion of Ukraine. He went back out on the streets. And it's around this time, according to new reporting from the BBC that just came out this year in late March of 2022, it's around this time that Boris Nemtsov started to be followed by someone the BBC called a government agent linked to a secret assassination squad.
4: We find new evidence that a Russian agent linked to a secret assassination squad was tracking Boris Nemtsov across the country in the last year
0: of Nemtsov's life. The BBC, together with Bellingcat, they pieced together the flight and train data of this government agent and found that he tailed Nemtsov from mid-2014 into early 2015 On one of the trips where Nemtsov was shadowed, according to the BBC, Nemtsov traveled to Eastern Russia in order to... ...to present a report on corruption in Russia's state-owned energy giant Gazprom. Why was a Russian government agent shadowing Boris Nemtsov all the way across Russia to these faraway cities Where Nemtsov was giving talks like the kind he'd given in Washington, D.C., ones about Gazprom and corruption, we don't know the answer. We only know that the last date the BBC uncovered in which he was followed, that 10 days after that date, Boris Nemtsov was murdered outside the Kremlin. Which, of course, leaves so many unanswered questions. Was his killing an assassination ordered by the Kremlin? And if it was, what was their motivation? Was it to shut him up about Gazprom? Or to shut him up about Ukraine? Well, both topics were intertwined, Ukraine and Gazprom, according to Boris Nemtsov.
3: So Putin is trying to dissect Ukraine and create in the east of the country a puppet state that is economically and politically controlled by the Kremlin.
0: That's from an article that Nemtsov published in a Ukrainian newspaper in September of 2014, roughly right in the middle of the period of time that this Russian agent was following him. Boris presented his theory in the article for why Putin was in Ukraine and what he wanted to gain from annexing Crimea and invading the eastern border.
3: It's crucial for his clan to control metallurgy in the east of Ukraine, as well as its military industrial complex. Moreover, southeastern Ukraine is rich in shale gas, which would create real competition for the business of Putin's Gazprom.
0: For Nemtsov, it was about money and power, the same old message that he'd been saying for years. <laughs> The money part was to eliminate any competition in the gas business that Ukraine might achieve. That's why Crimea and southern Ukraine were important to Putin, because it was known at the time that they held natural gas reserves that no one had yet tapped into. It wasn't because Russian speakers were there or there were separatists organizing marches. It was because of business and corruption. As far as eastern Ukraine was concerned, Boris wrote that it was because Putin wanted, quote, to control metallurgy in the east of Ukraine, which I don't know about you, but it brings a lot of recent memories to my mind of Ukrainian soldiers holed up in the steel factory in Mariupol. Was Demsov right? Is that the reason Putin has now flattened the city? What we do know is that 10 days after the last known day, the Russian agent shadowed Boris, he gave his last interview, where he also talked about Ukraine.
2: Putin
3: has started an insane, aggressive, murderous war with
2: Ukraine.
0: Just a few hours after that interview, Boris Nemtsov walked across a bridge that overlooked the Kremlin and an assassin came up from behind and shot him six times in the head, heart, liver, and stomach. There's a lot that could be said about Boris Nemtsov's murder. I'm going to link in the description to several sources that I think are worth looking into on the subject. But before I leave the Nemtsov part of the Nord Stream story behind, I want to play you the reaction from Garry Kasparov to Nemtsov's death. You might know Garry Kasparov as one of the world's most famous chess players, just to remind you. But this comes from right after the funeral in early March 2015, when Kasparov was speaking on Bloomberg.
4: Walk us through sort of your reaction to all of this. Uh, it's, it's very hard to describe. This morning I was watching the funeral and I, I have to admit I was crying. So it's, uh, it's, it's even more difficult because I couldn't be there. So
2: because just... it's not safe.
4: Unfortunately, my trip to Moscow will be, you know, a one-way ticket was predictable consequences. So, I'm I'm ashamed to hear all these speculations about, you know, different possible suspects and scenarios. When you investigate the crime, you should look for the motive and capability. And Boris Nemtsov was the most vocal critic of Putin's regime. He released numerous reports about corruption, violation of human rights, and... Most importantly, uh, he was about to, to release his new report about the presence of Russian troops in the eastern Ukraine. Uh, that the, the report will include testimonies from, from the soldiers, their families, a lot of material that will compromise Kremlin I uh, will reveal Putin's life. Could we still see that report? I doubt very much because one of the first things that police did uh, after washing away all the traces on, on the murder sport, as we could see, uh, they rushed into Boris' apartment and seized the computer and every, every bit of information they could find.
1: Gary, Boris clearly knew there were risks. We know that his mother was terrified that he would be murdered. He expressed some similar concerns, although not to the same degree. In the days before uh, his assassination. Given the fact that such a high profile figure in the opposition was taken out in this manner, what do you expect from opposition politicians and those just more generally opposed to the Putin regime will do going forward?
4: I think this message was very clear. Anybody in Russia who speaks against Vladimir Putin is is a dead man. It's not safe. Let's start. And could be even a dead man. It's no longer about you know uh, days, months, years in prison. You could simply uh, 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 eliminate it in front of the Kremlin in such a brutal and uh, ritual manner as it happened with Boris. Then, if he has just made it known to the world that Vladimir Putin is the the ultimate gangster, what should world leaders from the Western world
0: think of? I think at the time that Kasparov said that on television on Bloomberg, people thought he was overreacting. But now, after the invasion in 2022, it doesn't seem like so much of an overreaction. It seems like he and Nemtsov knew a few things that the rest of us just hadn't been paying attention to. That's the thing about physics. It's not enough to just look at the basic details. Every once in a while, you've got to step back and check that your data actually matches the larger reality of what's happening. That's something that Nemtsov knew and something that Richard Feynman also knew.
1: You have to learn. These are kind of disciplines in the field of science that you have to learn. That to know when you know and when you don't know and what it is you know and what it is you don't know. You've got to be very careful not to confuse yourself.
0: But why didn't leaders in the West listen to Nemtsov when he was alive? And why did Germany and Europe go through with the deal for Nord Stream 2 even after he was murdered. That's what we're going to look at in the last episode of this series next week on Big Mistake, Putin's Potemkin. What'd you do
4: when the
3: fire tore through your little town? Did you bolt down to the general store? Carry
4: your feet down to the damage? Demo-
0: this week's episode was produced by me, James Reed. Special thanks, as always, to Julia Carbonaro and Paulina Lau. We had original music from Husky Gawenda, additional original music by Evan Lawrence. Our cover art is from a Ukrainian artist, and we're going to put a link to her website in the description. You can follow us on Twitter at DSMF Podcast or on Instagram at Don't Show My Face Podcast, all one word. And one more thing, you might have noticed that you can now become a subscriber to the show. We're putting out extra content that is only for subscribers, including footnotes about episodes. If you want to do that, just check the link in the description of the show. And also, we're donating the money that we raise from subscribers to a Ukrainian charity. So we'd really ask you to consider becoming a subscriber. This has been an episode of Don't Show My Face, a podcast from Invisible Pictures, Germany, 2022. Thanks for listening and take care.